0: Boss is here.
1: Military parents never miss a beat, and neither does the Johns Hopkins U.S. Family Health Plan. Built for every warrior in your family. With more than 40 years of service to military families, Tricare Prime Benefits plus exclusive extras. Learn more at warriorsathome.com.
0: Build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Stride Bank and a member FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply.
1: Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phil and Nick Stevens. On tonight's episode, we're going to recap the MLB trade deadline, talk about what the Orioles did and did not do on July 30th. We're also going to get into some injury news in the minor leagues, and we're going to talk a little bit about the current status of Adley Rutschman, who continues to dominate at Bowie while calls uh, for his promotion in Norfolk grow. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, On The Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor & Home Carpet 1. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So um, as some of you know, On The Verge recently launched a Patreon platform, and we've gotten a lot of great support so far um, as a way for us to offer bonus content beyond the weekly shows. Um, We've been doing daily recaps, um, which Bob has done an excellent job with and some instant reaction pieces. So um, be sure to check that out. And we're going to give a shout out to our current members.
2: Yeah. So Nathaniel says, can we take a moment to appreciate Zach's microphone upgrade? Yes. Yes, we can. That's, uh, that's the kind of stuff that happens when you support our Patreon. We're able to do that kind of stuff. Um, and if you're sick of the Mercer ad read, which for the record I'm not, uh, you can also subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash on the verge and we will edit those out for our patreon members uh yeah so when you sign up we promise to give some shout outs so i'm going to shout out the 14 excellent supporters that have already signed up starting with my sister sally freeland big up sister um mike rakes brendan langdon william he prefers bill duck patricia freeland my mom (laughs) love you jeremy greenberg Terry Sanders, Chris Franz, Bob Watkins, Paul Weinberg, David Adams, Patrick Lipinski, Chris Regan, and Jared Summers. Thank you so much. And only two of the 14 uh, are actually related to me, so that's that's always nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, this, that is nice. And we've had a lot of fun interacting with our listeners in the WhatsApp uh, chat that we've started so, if you have already subscribed but haven't joined the chat, I would encourage you to do so. It's a lot of fun. But if you're considering subscribing, that's one more incentive uh, to think about. So, certainly uh, something that we enjoy is uh, you know in our time between shows getting to interact with our listeners. So, one of the things that has been discussed a lot in that chat is the trade deadline, uh, which came with the came and went with very little, very few players coming out of Baltimore. Uh, Freddie Galvis was traded while still on the I.L. to the Philadelphia Phillies in exchange for minor league reliever Tyler Burtz. Uh, if you follow our social media, you'll note that we've been sharing some uh, information on Burtz, mainly from Eric Longenhagen at Fangrass, uh, who noted that Burtz has a fastball, that runs in the mid-90s with a slider, had the highest swinging strike rate in the Phillies farm system at the time of the trade. Uh, 23 years old, he'll be, he'll turn 24 next month and had put together good numbers at High A Lakewood, Uh, prior to the deal. So he'll be someone to watch for the rest of the summer. One other thing to note, um, he's not Rule 5 eligible until next year. So the Orioles add some bullpen depth in the minor leagues. They don't have to worry about adding to the 40-man roster right away. So uh, we'll just start with the Galvis trade before we get into what the Orioles didn't do uh, at the deadline. Just kind of your reaction, Nick, uh, what you think of the deal, were you surprised that Galvis went, and uh, your thoughts on Burks.
0: I think, I mean, we all assumed Freddie Gallus was going to be a trade piece at the beginning of the season. We knew he was just a placeholder, but I kind of surprised because I thought he was going to be done for the year uh, when he went down in that injury against Toronto. I've only watched a handful of games, major league games this year, and that just happened to be one that I was flipping through and it, it didn't look pretty. Uh, you felt terribly That look on his face just seemed like he was done. And so to see him, rehabbing again and healthy is awesome i've always been a big freddie gallows fan especially when he was with the padres and my time covering the padres there for that year he was there so i've been a big fan of his um glad he gets to be glad he gets to be back on the field but it's it's, it's another arm in the system birch is interesting for sure i mean just based off everything we've read about him fan actually slotted him in 35th in the Orioles system i don't know if you guys saw that um I forgot to throw that in the chat this morning when I was looking. Uh, so for reference on Fangraph's list, it's that's just behind Michelle Deson. They have 34th and just ahead of guys like John Rhodes, who's thirty six, uh, Zach Watson is 37th and Kevin Smith is 38th. So kind of for reference there. Um, we know Eric Long and Hicken doesn't seem to be a big fan of Kevin Smith like some other outlets are, but. Birch is interesting. Uh, I think it's, like Zach mentioned, the scouting report you got on him, 93 to 96 with a plus slider, led the Phillies organization in swinging strike rate first half season. You love to see those numbers. Another small school guy, which based on – look at this year's draft results, you can tell the Orioles really do their homework on a lot of you know deep guys down there in the D2 ranks and, and such. Um, it's a relief arm. Hopefully we see him in Double A at the end of the year. We'll see how that plays out. My mind naturally went to the Jonathan Villar trade. Uh, another middle infielder, Orioles got a relief arm for him in Easton Lucas, and comparing those two guys, I think East, or Birch has a, a much higher ce- ceiling, comparatively speaking, based on what we've seen from Easton Lucas this year.
2: Yeah, um, once Galvis got hurt, it seemed like, oh, there goes that trade chip, that's done, because it seemed like he was going to be out to at least maybe the middle of August, but... As soon as they announced, like, a week before the deadline, he's going to rehab, he's he's coming back, he's proven he's healthy. I'm like, oh, they're they're going to move him for whatever they can get. And it sounds like they got someone that, Fangraphs at least is pretty high on uh, the title of the episode, is Big Stuff Jump, and that is what Mike Elias, uh, the phrase he used to describe Tyler Birch between 2019 and 2021. So that's obviously they, they saw something they liked there, that he's improved. Maybe they can, he thought, Elias said is that they could fleece uh, the Phillies and their, you know, go for it all. I, who, Dave Dombrowski, right? That's who they hired. And maybe they could take advantage of him. And uh, yeah, he's going to start in Aberdeen, but I would not be surprised if he's up in double A before long. And I initially had him in 91st in my uh, personal top 100, but he can work his way up if he if he should <laughs> proves that this big stuff jump is legit.
1: I thought it was a fair return given the circumstances. The one thing to keep in mind with Galvis is that he does not have a team option for next year. There's no option attached to his contract. It's just a one-year deal. He was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And with the way Ramon Urias has been playing, it's clear the Orioles are going to be fine at shortstop for the rest of the year. Your defense does take a little bit of a hit, but at this point I don't think that's really what you're going to be concerned about. The Phillies, though, you know, they've put so much into this major league roster and it has yet to pay off. Their infield defense, especially, was really bad prior to the trade. So they're looking at Galvis as that extra depth piece that improves their defense. So I I think in that context, the return for him is fair. Yeah, I think
2: so. I mean, he was, again, he's coming off an injury. Who knows how much he can recover. There's only two months left in the season. They're on the fringes of contention. So not like he's going to push them over the edge, more of a depth piece. So, yeah, I think maybe a future middle reliever best case is probably, you know, what you could expect for that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, don't discredit any of these guys. I mean, we're not going to sit here and say, what a trade deadline for Michael Elias. And this is awesome. Like kind of like we did last year because last year's trend deadline was pretty awesome. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Birch has the, the reports on him, the numbers on him are promising so far and that's good. And you're not going to get a whole lot for Freddie Galvis. Uh, and just looking at guys like guys we're going to talk about later in this episode, guys who are pitching right now, like Eugene Pintos and these Michelle Deson was the, the third piece. Uh, we're going to talk about like Zach peak, probably a little bit later on tonight of the quote unquote fourth piece in that Dylan Bundy deal, all these extra pieces that the Orioles seem to be like the throw-ins of deals are actually the guys. I think all of us are becoming more and more excited about uh, as the season has progressed. So when I look at a guy like Birch, Yes, this is a very small deal. No, Birch is not going to be a future starter for the Baltimore Orioles. He's probably not going to be the future closer of the Baltimore Orioles, but he could still be pretty valuable, and I think he's going to make it interesting as the year goes on. So definitely someone to keep an eye on, someone new for us to keep an eye on, at least for the rest of this year.
2: And he's got a lot of strikeouts this year and, like, very few walks. So yeah, ERA in, in low A was a little high, but that has to be inflated just based off of the peripherals. Yeah. That's what it seems like anyway.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it was also kind of a small sample size too. So I wouldn't read a lot into that. I think the big thing with him is this, you know, does he continue to strike out batters at this rate as he moves up um, and maintain that velocity, which it's going to be critical. But, you know, the numbers at low a were not as good as they were at high a, but the fact that he performed well after being promoted to me is a great sign.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully he, you know, Aberdeen, I've talked about this a lot in the last couple of days, but I feel like the jump from low A to high A is more extreme than it usually is. It feels more like the jump from high A to double A, especially when you look at the guys, especially the pitchers who have gone from high A to double A and just picked up right where they left off in the Orioles system that, you know, Aberdeen's pitching is struggling a little bit with some of the guys just coming up from Delmarva. So hopefully he can help stabilize that bullpen improve his worth and get up to double A by middle of August, September.
1: The only other move the Orioles made at the deadline was to send Son Armstrong to the Rays for cast considerations. Armstrong was actually designated for assignment a few months ago, cleared waivers and had been down at Norfolk. And after a rough pats seemed to be getting better, that's really a depth move uh, for the Rays. And the Orioles get cast back in that deal, but no prospects. Um, the Orioles had been heavily speculated, and we talked about a lot in our last show when we had Connor Newcomb one. That the Orioles probably were going to move one of their, one or both of their relievers in Paul Fry or Tanner Scott. It also seemed possible to call Salser or Dylan Tate to be dealt. They were not traded to the deadline, nor were Trey Mancini, John Means, or Cedric Mullins, or any of the other players that the Orioles, you know, in theory could have gotten a lot for in return. What I think that is worth considering now is that the Orioles are at a point where you're starting to see the base at the major league level. And you have to wonder how long do they hold on to John Means and Cedric Mullins because they believe that they can start contending while those players are still under team control. And in the case of Mancini, you know, Michael Elias making the comment about him hoping that Mancini would stay there for as long as possible. I don't really know what that means. I don't know if it means the Orioles are considering an extension or if it just means that they're happy to have him here for the rest of this year. But he stays. So just kind of want to get your guys' general thoughts on this, which is do you feel like now the Orioles have to start flipping that switch a little bit where it's not all about tearing down the major league roster to build up the depth of the farm system? You have to start taking into account who's actually going to be there when this team should, in theory, start contending and whether some of those players are there now.
0: Yeah. I I don't know. I struggle with this, and I got distracted too at the beginning there because Athlete Rutschman just hit a home run off Luis Severino, uh, so we have that there. Um, but yeah, I don't know what this says about like the, the contention window. I was thinking about this a lot. I mean, just I'm happy to see Trey Mancini stick around at least for a bit longer. I agree with what Zach just said there that I don't know what Isaac's comments mean. I, what I do know is that. We're going to be, maybe not us specifically, but Orioles fans are going to keep having that conversation of, is this the time we trade Trey Mancini now, or are we going to give him an extension? Those talks are going to continue because they still have time. We just don't know, but I am happy he's around for a little bit longer, at least. I think the fact that Mullins and Means were off the table uh, tells you everything you need to know about how the Orioles view them, which is comforting because Like I need to see a sustained success from these guys. Like I'm not sold on Austin Hayes. I'm not sold on Anthony Santander at all. Um, And Mullins, I'm not sold on Mullins either yet. It's one of the greatest stories in all of baseball this year has been Cedric Mullins. But I want to see him come out next year and still be an above average league hitter uh, for me to to fall in love there and think this is going to be a guy who's going to stick around long term. Um, You know, but that's only three pieces. So maybe you can throw Ryan Mountcastle in there as well. And Austin Hayes is iffy. I don't know about Austin Hayes yet, but there's still a lot of work to do in this organization. But I think by keeping Mancini, Means, and Mullins, the Orioles are showing that they have enough confidence in the guys in the upper levels of their minor leagues, I think, that you don't have to trade these guys away for nothing. The Orioles are still in this we-need-to-acquire-talent phase But they're not in this we need to ship off trey mancini for five prospects just to boost the farm system because we need arms or we need you know guys to get at bats uh, they can be a little bit picky about guys that they trade off so i think right now the organization is just in this really weird position like we don't have the pieces to really sell off at the major league level we don't really need to sell the pieces off at the major league level but we've got to wait for adley Rutschman, grayson rodriguez michael baumanns jordan westbergs we have to wait for all of these guys and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully it all pans out in the near future.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's the optimist in me, but I took uh, Elias's comments after the deadline as kind of like the most positive he's been here, at least. I mean, he still said, you know, we're a long ways away and he's daunted by the talent in the division, but to me, I mean, maybe he's just blowing smoke, but it seemed like he's thinking more, okay, we can start to turn this around in two or three years, start to try to contend. Maybe not, we're not going to go. I still don't think we're going to sign any big free agents this offseason, but maybe, you know, we can take an, an eye out for small signings or trades to add to the team. Or maybe they're thinking, you know, we don't, like you said, we don't need these five guys to raise the floor of the system anymore. We've raised the floor now if we're going to make a trade, it's going to be for a more impactful piece, more than our quality over quantity. I don't know, but something about just the way he was talking about how Mullins and means and, and all these guys are proving themselves and we have more cavalry coming, which God don't say that word to Birdland. Calvary is a, is a bad word, but um, yeah, I just was encouraged. I think this time next year, we've said this a lot, but I think the attitude in Birdland is going to be a lot more positive and, um, I might not be sold on Mullins right now to the extent of sign him to an extension, lock him up, but I'm definitely sold on him enough to be like, here's center field for the foreseeable future and prove that you can do this, or at least, you know, still be above average. I doubt he's going to be over 900 OPS center fielder for the next five years, but if he can just be 750 to 850 and provide that good defensive speed, then that's pretty good too.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that we know that 2022 is going to be a challenge that for a lot of the same reasons as 2021 has been a challenge, which is that you still have to build, you know, a formidable starting rotation at the major league level. And right now you're still looking at John Means and a lot of question marks for 2022. But the fact is that you have Means under control for another three years. You're going to have Mullins here for a while. And I do think it's realistic to believe that somewhere in that window, you're going to have a team that is pushing for a playoff spot. And you're better off with the two of them there. You know, I'm not necessarily on board with signing either of them to an extension right now. Um, But the fact is, you've got a few years to figure that out. And then while that's going on, you're also going to have Ryan Mountcastle continuing to develop. Adley Rutzman will probably be in the major leagues next year with Grayson Rodriguez and hopefully D.L. Hall. So you can start sort of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit even if the rest of this year and probably next year is going to be a bit of a struggle.
0: I think I'm not really like angry or frustrated at any point about what did or did not happen at the trade deadline. But the one thing that I question about why are these guys still on the roster, like Tanner Scott and Paul Fry, like I would have liked to see one of those guys move. And I know there was the the quotes about, one of a, another reliever was very close to being dealt, and we can assume it was either Scott or Fry or maybe even Dylan Tate. Who knows? Uh, but I think those guys, if you're a position like the Orioles, yes, it's the Orioles. I just said are in a weird position. But if you're a team like the Orioles, the Tigers, the Pirates, they're all in right now. And you have guys like Scott Fry, maybe even Tate getting the interest that they're getting. I personally, like I, I don't see why you keep them because they could fall apart next week and they lose all trade value. And they're not guys that you're going to build this bullpen around. You can't convince me that Tanner Scott is a guy that's going to be around in four years as a reliable late inning reliever. Like, yeah, I, I love this guy as he came up through the system a lot, and I'm, I'm glad that he has been progressing. Uh, but you can't convince me that this is a guy you build a bullpen around, and so that's the only thing that I have questions about. And and I know they're still, they still have a lot of team controls. They could move them in the offseason. They can move them next year as well. But that's the only thing that I question. I want to know what those talks were like, but I know that we'll never know that. So,
2: Yeah, as much as I was optimistic about the comments, the stuff about Fry or the bullpen or Scott, uh, Omer's getting traded but not, to me that's just like the offer was something that they feel like they could get at any point for those guys, and they want to wait – to try to maximize kind of like they did with Michael Givens where we that was our version of the Chris Archer trade uh, from last year. So I still think those guys are completely expendable, especially with the bulk of starting pitchers in Bowie and Norfolk. Uh, most of those guys are going to end up in the bullpen. So I don't know. I think they're just biding their time on Fry and Scott. Hopefully they'll continue to have success, and you can either trade them this offseason or at the deadline next year.
1: Yeah, Given that Michael Elias got more than I think anybody expected out of Michael Gibbons, that might say more about the Rockies than it does the Orioles, but I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt in this case because of that. We've seen him hold on to a reliever before for longer than was expected and still get a really good deal at the end of the day. Um, and he did really well in the Miguel Castro trade as well. Um, my concern always with relievers, and this goes back for me with Zach Britton, is injuries. Um, That would really be my biggest concern is can these pitchers stay healthy because you know that Paul Fry uh, is a good reliever when he's healthy. You know that Tanner Scott can strike out every batter in the lineup or walk them when he's healthy. But you know that he's going to be productive. Um, But I think that that's always going to be the big question with relievers is can they stay healthy. So Baltimore Sports and Life owner uh, Chris Stoner chimes in, absolutely thinks Scott can be part of a quality pen. Do you question if he'll ever be able to consistently rely on him in high-leverage situations?
2: Yeah, I always think he's going to be, you know, Mr. Jekyll, Dr. Hyde, or Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, rather. Um, you know, when he's on, I mean, there's no one better. He's like Andrew Miller out there, but the problem is he's only on half the time at best, which if he could ever flip that switch, I'm highly doubtful that he can, then he would be elite. But I think you want to try to convince a team that they can turn him into that and then get that kind of value for him rather than but it is risky with him because if he goes the other way where he just can't control the ball at all anymore then you've kind of completely lost any trade value whatsoever I do think he can be good I don't know if he'll ever be great even though he's tantalizing because when he's on he can be great
0: yeah I just I just don't trust him at all I can't trust him anymore so I mean it's It's great that he's up here. And uh, Connor Newcomb said last week, you know, he mentioned the age. He's what, 27, 28 years old? So, I mean, this is definitely an older guy as well. I just think that the Orioles aren't competing next year. And I don't think 2023 is going to be a window either. Uh, So, I think Scott is a guy that if that Michael Gibbons type package is there, 100% make that move. Uh, You know, you can hold out. Like I mentioned, you're not in a position where you need to sell off these guys. Uh, You can hold off and wait for that right package. And I, I think if the offer is there, he'll take it. Michael Ice will take it in the off season, but yeah, Scott's, Scott's tough. stuff. I, I, I do want to love him. I really, really do want to love him, but I just, I just can't,
1: you know, he's come a long way in the majors and I give him a lot of credit for that, but I always think the walks are just going to be part of his game. And it's a matter of how comfortable you are putting him out there when, you know, he could strike out the side or he might walk two batters and quickly get himself into trouble. Um, and I think that's always going to be a little bit of a limit. He has great stuff. Now, I'm thinking back to another Orioles reliever from, you know, a while a while ago, George Sherrill, who walked a lot of batters and was generally successful despite that. He didn't have the stuff that Scott had, but you kind of knew there was a limited time period where George serrell was going to be a good major league reliever um, and that the walks were always a big limiting factor. And Scott, you know, as I said, better, pure stuff. But the walks, I think, are always going to be a concern with him. I don't think he's going to, you know, his command could get better, but I don't think he's ever going to be 2016 Zach Britton.
2: No, I mean, look what he did. Obviously, he ended up on IL, so maybe he was hurt, and that led to it a little bit. But his last two outings at the major league level, before he went on the injured list, he didn't record an out. I mean, he walked three guys, hit two batters, was just all over the place, you know. So that's the worst of what he can offer we've seen the best as well, but it, it's definitely hard, hard to juggle that.
0: And I think too, just looking towards the future and we can move on from talking about the bullpen, but looking at prospects and I know, I don't want to jump the ship on these guys quite yet and convert them to bullpen arms. But I think you do have two guys and Michael Bauman and DL Hall who you could potentially be looking at. I know Michael Bauman has been targeted at this future closer role for the Orioles by you know, outlets like, uh, Baseball America uh, had him down there. John Mioli talked about it a few times. And D.L. Hall, I think we can maybe talk about D.L. Hall we talk about injuries. But, you know, that's starting to creep in a little bit more now. He could be an electric closer as well or late inning guy as well. Um, so I think there are plenty, going to be plenty of options down there right now, these top prospects that we're talking about who can fill that
2: bullpen role, like like Bob mentioned. Or even Ufelke uh, Peralta, Blaine Knight. All these guys, I think their stuff will play up in short stints, and they've got that two-pitch combination if they could just lean on that that fastball slider type of thing that Elias likes. So I think that's what they're being groomed for, rather. And uh, Nick Vespey, he might be up soon, too. He had a bad outing, but, man, he's electric, too, when he's on.
1: Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of opportunities for the Orioles to get value uh, out of their farm system in terms of bullpen depth uh, over the next few years. Do want to shift gears now and talk injuries? Uh, the Orioles have gotten some bad news in the last few days. Michael Elias saying that it's highly un- highly unlikely that DL Hall is going to pitch before this year is over. Uh, Anthony Servideo is out for the year after having surgery. Uh, so, despite he got off to a promising start at Delmarva this year, we're not going to see him resume that. So, these are two pretty tough losses for different reasons. Hall, we know, is one of the most electric arms in minor league baseball when he's healthy. He was off to such a good start at Bowie this year and goes down with an injury. Servideo, meanwhile, you know, kind of a high floor guy coming out of the 2020 draft and was showing what had made him such an intriguing prospect, which is good defensive versatility, draws a ton of walks, and he occasionally does something with the bat in terms of contact. But he's going to be out for a while for the rest of the year. Hall likely is out for the rest of the year or so. Uh two tough injury news for the Orioles there.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, DL Hall one hurt a little bit. Uh it it just seemed like he was so close to coming back. And so I was starting to get excited about seeing him back on the mound again. But right after the report, those reports came out, it seemed like there was a little bit of talk, you know, about here we go again, another another DL Hall injury, thinking like this is kind of a pattern with him, which I believe in 2019, he was what shut down a little early. Uh, before the end of the season. I don't think that was anything major as well. I don't believe he's had any major injuries since the Orioles draft him. Um, I can't remember any off the top of my head either way, but, We've repeatedly heard about the amount of work that he's done in the offseason uh, to get better. And we saw those results at the beginning of the year. I mean, he had, looking at his numbers now, a 43% strikeout rate. We talked about the massive ground ball rate that stayed high for all of those starts, more than 30 innings before the injury. Um, you noticed a lot in watching his starts in broadcast, especially, you know, like Adam Pohl at Bowie mentioning a lot about he's Hall was using his secondary so much more. And he was, you know, a lot of nights maybe getting squeezed a little bit, leading to longer outings, guys fouling him off, making him work a little harder. Um, it, a lot of tough nights for Hall, but he battled through those outings, and he became a more complete pitcher, I thought. He's not relying on that overpowering fastball to just blow past hitters. He was really using his entire repertoire. And so I also don't think that this disrupts his timeline that much, since it's not doesn't seem to be a major injury. Like As long as he can come back for fall instructional camp, you can throw him out there on the mound. Um, he can have a full, healthy offseason. Start the year in AAA with the Rutschman and Rodriguez, pending any you know CBA changes or anything that comes about next season, and still be on track to reach the majors in late 2022. I, I think so. That's why the news of Hall at least being shut down—it it sucks for right now, but it hasn't shaken the way I view him at all.
2: Completely agree. And look, there's no no sugar sugarcoating the fact that it sucks. He he's hurt. It sucks. It's a, but it's not like he's getting Tommy John. He's not, it's not a shoulder injury. It's a stress reaction, stress fracture type thing that's going to heal and he's going to be fine. And yeah, he, he got shut down in 2019, but I don't think we heard anything about an injury in 2020 when uh, they were doing the alternate site. And he's, like you said, he's got a lot of work in. maybe he doesn't have a ton of innings the past couple of years officially, but you know, he's been throwing a ton. So I think they're just managing him a bit and it's definitely could be worse, could be better. But like you said, I don't think it really messes with this timeline too much. Maybe it pushes him back a couple months in the end, but who knows? Maybe the CBA comes out and all of a sudden everybody's prospects are up starting from opening day next year. That would be great. But uh, as far as Servideo, even that, it again, it sucks. He's losing development time in official competitive games, but it's a hernia. It's not like he blew out his knee. You know, it's something you can definitely recover from and get back. I think we'll definitely see him in Arizona fall league and fall instructionals and stuff like that. So he can make up a little bit of lost time there. And with all the shortstops and infielders that we have that need to start a double a buoy next year, you're going to need someone to play shortstop at Aberdeen. And it looks like Servidio is going to be that guy start 2022.
1: Yeah. I think both can, you know, rebound relatively quickly. And, Going off of what we just talked about with Hall, you know, I think that there is still some opportunity for development, provided that he can get back on the mound in the fall. Um, and if it's entirely at Sarasota, that's fine. The Orioles can monitor him and see how he performs there. And then you can you know, think about putting him at AAA next year, or if you want to build him back and start him at Bowie for a month or so, I don't think that's an issue either. I don't think that's really going to affect his timeline all that much. I still think that as long as he's healthy – we know how good he is when he is healthy. He will be in the major leagues maybe by this time next year. Um, and in 2019, I just looked this up because I couldn't remember exactly how far Hall pits into that season. His last outing was on August 8th of that year. So he was not not like he was shut down, you know, two months early. There were only a few weeks left in the season when he was shut down. The Orioles took a cautious move and, you know, just decided not having pits the rest of the year after throwing almost 95 innings. So, you know, long term, we still have to figure out where Hall fits as far as a starter or reliever. But that's something that we can worry about in a few years. I think for now, the big thing is just getting him back on the mound, um, you know, sometime over the fall and having him build up for 2022. And, you know, with Servideo, I I agree with Bob. I don't think this is going to be a big setback. He should be able to recover from this. Still puts him in line to be the starting shortstop at Aberdeen next year. And, you know, based off of what I saw at Del Marva before the injury, I think that he's a guy that, you know, could be part of this organization's long-term plans, even if he's more in that utility mold rather than a starter at the major league level. But, you know, you want to see him back. I think the Arizona fall league would be a good thing for him if he can rehab well uh, over the next few weeks. So, you know, I, I don't think that these are necessarily big setbacks, even though in the here and now it's really disappointing because we want to see DL Hall pitch. We want to see Anthony Servidio in the lineup every night at Del Marva or Aberdeen, and we're not going to have that for the rest of the year. But you know, just like we've already dealt with Joey Ortiz, we're just going to have to hope that they recover and you know get back on the field.
2: Yeah, and let's be honest, Servidio could probably still walk once, once or twice a game right now with the hernia. So I think he'll be okay. And like you said, I mean, there's been a lot of injuries for us for sure especially to our top 50 or so prospects this year. But I don't think that's rare this season. It seems like injuries are a little bit higher across everywhere. And it's at least the good thing is none of them knock them would have been like catastrophic. It's mostly stuff that can be dealt with. Obviously, Joey Ortiz is a little more serious, Calder Barmler. But most of it's just strains and stuff that just is going to take time to heal. And it's not like you need. Surgery or anything?
1: Yeah, I don't think that was unexpected coming into this year. I think that there was sort of an expectation that, not necessarily for the Orioles, but just looking at baseball in general, that in the minor leagues you could see more nagging injuries because players didn't play last year, and now they're having to go back to playing over 100 games uh, professionally on you know every night. So that's gonna you know lead to some problems. Yeah, for sure. So, Ospen I- Therapy uh, said that. Everybody worries about Hall because of Hunter Harvey's track record with injuries, which there might be some merit to that. And he asks us, is Harvey running out of time? He can hardly stay on the field for longer than eight games. Um, I'm going to say, yes, he is running out of time. And I'm pretty sure Nick feels the same way.
0: Yeah, the first comment, I definitely understand that. I get that vibe as well. I, I totally get that. but is he running out of time? The clock's done. The clock's out of batteries. Like he's gone. (laughs) I don't, I don't think we'll ever see him back on the field again, to be totally honest. I mean, it's just, and I don't really think that's, that's not his fault. All the talent in the world is there. I think that's just one of those really disaster baseball disaster stories that he just couldn't help. I mean, it's injury after injury, after injury, after injury, but every single year for what the last, what, six, seven years, he's been on the top 30 prospect list. Every major outlet keeps him on there. Um, he's still
2: on there right now for baseball America. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Baseball America still hasn't ranked as a top 30 prospect in the system, which I don't think that's possible. I thought he exceeded his limits. I'll so we'll have to check that again, but yeah, I just don't see Hall coming back. I think that's, I've moved on. I didn't even know like where he's at. I don't even know where he's at to be totally honest.
2: Yeah. I'm, I mean, I not that pessimistic. One am I think <laughs> definitely whatever you can get out of him from this point is just like, take it as a bonus. But, um, Let's be fair here to Hall. He hasn't missed like season after season with injury. I mean, he's been shut down here and there a couple of times for minor things. It's nothing like Harvey's gone through. I mean, his arm is like held together with toothpaste and bubble gum or whatever MacGyver type stuff you can come up with. But uh, yeah, I think he's ran out of time as far as like a legit prospect, someone you could count on. But if he's healthy for 25 innings a year and can throw 100 miles an hour, then let him throw hundred mile an hour. There's 25 innings a year and see what happens. But yeah, as soon as he starts to cost some money, I'm not sure they're going to want to keep him around. Yeah. I'm more
0: concerned just about, we spent so many weeks at the beginning of the season talking about, this is kind of going back to sort video a little bit glowing, just rave reviews about these middle infielders. And we have so many middle infielders in the system and it's so fun to watch and where are they all going to play? And now Ortiz had the labrum surgery and he's out. Servideo's out for the rest of the year. Adam Hall's on the hot the I. L. Greg Cullen just went down on the I. L. We saw him Taran over Vavra. the weekend. Yeah, Taryn is out. We don't know when he's coming back. Um, so Servideo is just kind of like another just another thing to add to this pile here that that really stinks. I think that's more concerning to me, or maybe not concerning, frustrating, I think, right now. Yeah. Than the Hall injury, to be completely honest, because like I said, I don't think this r- disrupts Hall's timeline that much, if any.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, Zach. <laughs> uh, beginning of the year, we're like, well, how are they going to find time to fit in all these excellent middle infielders? <laughs> well, they found a way. But, unfortunately, they
0: got Seth Mejias Breen playing middle infield now.
2: So there we go.
1: <laughs> yeah, Nick, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's more frustrating than it is concerning, just because. When we had all these middle infielders playing earlier this year uh, on a nightly basis across these affiliates, it was a lot of fun to watch. And most of the time when I would check the box scores, you know, I would pull up Bowie. And the first thing I'd want to know is what did Taron Baber do? Uh, you know, what did Jemai Jones do at Norfolk? What does, you know, Jordan Westbrook doing? You know, so those that was really fun to follow. And the fact that we haven't had it for a while and we know now we're not going to have Sir Video back in the lineup this year is frustrating, but not necessarily a long term concern.
0: Yeah. I think and a lot of those guys we'd mentioned too are these are advanced college bat guys or video SEC guy. Um, you know, uh, Favre is an advanced guy that we imagine wouldn't spend a whole lot of time in the minor league. So I think just across minor league baseball, just looking at it as a whole and the whole injury thing, 2020 is gonna cause a ripple effect for a couple of years. And then on top of that, guys getting hurt, just natural injury injuries from ramping up from no season working out in your backyard, throwing into a a barn door, whatever a lot of these guys were doing, Um, to go into a full minor league season, that's huge. Even guys going from the alt site to a full minor league season is a big jump up. And so I think a lot of people say, well, shouldn't your arms be fresh if you're a pitcher? Well, yeah, but I mean, this is real life game competition. And we watch these minor league games on a nightly basis. They're going at it 100%. Um, and these games get competitive, even down in the minor leagues, even Delmarva. I mean, they're going hard every single at bat, every single pitch. These guys are now it's real life. Again, they're fighting for their jobs. So they're given it. their are all and injuries, are just going to creep up. And so I think you're going to see older guys still at lower levels for a couple more years as 2020 set them back. And now injuries are setting them back, but I don't think it's taken away what eventually they can become for, for a lot of these guys.
2: Completely agree. And You even see like Westberg, Henderson, they usually get a day off a week and that's to try to keep them fresh. It's going to be a long grind season and I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see some of the numbers slip a little bit the last month or so of the season as they just kind of get worn down. But hopefully that's not the case, but it is to go from zero to 100. uh, It's not easy. So they're battling through it and hopefully they come out ahead.
1: So another injury update that we got over the weekend was about Heston Kurstad, who I'm sure our listeners know is battling his way back from myocarditis. Um, There is still not a specific uh, timeline right now attached to when we're going to see Kurstad again. But there was a little bit of hope from Mike Elias' quote, and I'm reading here from the Baltimore Sun. We're continuing to hope for some good news here soon, and we've got our fingers crossed for that, and we may get some soon. That's really all I can say right now. It's been, to say the least, a very trying and unfortunate circumstance for him and the organization, but we're helping him and supporting him, and we've still got a lot of time left, and this is something that we think will pass. So that's a little bit of encouragement from Mike Elias, although we still don't know a lot of specifics, and I know the three of us continue to feel that it's just important for Kerstad to regain health. Whatever happens in baseball happens. But um, just as far as this quote goes, um, any reaction here, Nick, Bob? I mean, it's like I said, it's promising. Uh, I hope he does get the
0: opportunity to get back out there in the field, at least in fall instructional camp. Um, You know, I'm comforted by seeing a lot of these guys in the farm system. They're having big 2020 seasons after having limited or no 2019 seasons plus 2020 on top of that. So you might be looking at two years in between competitive games for Kerstad, but a lot of guys are going through something similar, not health wise, but playing time wise. And they're excelling this year. So, I feel comfort in that. And Kerstad, he played in the SEC. He played for Team USA. He played well at both of those levels against high competition. So, like I just mentioned with the other guys, I don't think he's going to be hurt developmentally too much. As long as he can come back fully healthy, then I mean you're looking at next year, maybe starting in best case scenario, I think maybe starting in Del Marva to get some of some of those at bats, and then he can be a guy that rises up pretty quickly as long as he's healthy.
2: Yeah, I think it's about as optimistic of a quote or encouraging of a quote as you could hope for at this point in time. Maybe, like you said, he comes back for fall instructional or Arizona Fall League. I still think we won't see him on the field until next spring, but it's just good to know that at least publicly they're feeling confident that he'll be able to make a full recovery. And like you said, it's just he's going to start out a year behind, but that's not that much different than a lot of guys this year did with the missing 2020 season. So kind of looking at it as like a bonus first round pick that we have coming into the system.
1: So the Rutsman, or um, am sorry, Kersad the first round pick in 2020. Uh, Adley Rutsman, the first round pick the year before that is playing at Bowie right now and continues to put together a really good season. And we've been seeing increasing speculation that he'd be promoted. In fact, when Nick Bob and I went to Bowie a couple weeks ago, we thought we might be seeing Rutsman's last game double A as it turns out, he's still there. Um, John Mioli had a really good piece at the Baltimore Sun for anybody who is not ready yet talking about uh, Rutschman's development. And basically the takeaway I had from it was that the Orioles are going to promote Rutschman to Norfolk when they feel he's ready, you know, that he's developed all he can at double A. Um, right now, they must not feel that way. And I know with catching, it's, you know, a complex process, but um, Rutschman's still putting together a good year. We're not, he's not getting to Norfolk just yet. So I'll start with Bob on this. Um, What are your thoughts on why Rutzman might still be in Bowie? And do you think we see him at Norfolk before the year is over?
2: I think we see him in Norfolk before the month is over. Definitely before the year is over. Maybe by the time the week is over. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think he'll be there pretty soon. I think it's just with the extra two weeks added on to the AAA season, they wanted to keep him in. Double-A maybe a couple weeks longer than they initially expected to, but I think it's just a matter of, like Elias said, they think it's not hurting him to be at double-A, so why not keep him there and have him catch some of the bigger prospects, uh, pitching-wise, behind the plate at the same time? But it's getting to the point where, like Nick called it out earlier, he just hit a home run off of a very good major league starting pitcher, uh, crushed the ball for a 17th home run of the season, so he's clearly talented enough to move up. It's just a matter of when they want to pull that trigger, and I think it will probably be at the end of this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't get worked up about promotions like so many others seem to. Um, I, I get it, but I just, I just don't. And organizations have the data that we don't. They have individual plans for each player. They're going to promote them when they're ready. And I also don't think there's any point in trying to compare Rutschman to you know others outside the organization like I know the Bobby Witt comparisons are going to be commonplace for like his entire career just based off where they were drafted and both being the AL now but Rutschman this is, is is to be fair his first full season of professional baseball he's primarily a catcher that is a major difference than a lot of other positions out there in the field a lot more nuanced but with that being said I don't really know what else he has to prove at double I don't think there really is anything. I know when we talked to Ryan Fuller, great interview, go back and listen to that on the feed. Uh, you know, he said there are some things that, you know, they're still working with him on. And I do believe that. I don't expect Richmond to be a complete hitter at right now at this point, but I'm also not a hitting coach, but I don't see any glaring holes in his game. I think the numbers speak for themselves. They've been fantastic all year. Uh, and I think by moving him up to AAA, there's that debate. What's the better competition, you know, the double A versus triple A, but I think triple A, you're facing more pitchers with MLB experience. They might be quad A type guys, but they have what it takes to get to the big leagues. They've been there. They know how to exploit Rutschman and his weaknesses more than some of these prospects may know how to at that point. Uh, So I think moving them up to triple A right now to, you know, tweak anything they want to tweak and and smooth out anything they want to smooth out would be a good opportunity. Um, But I do think it happens soon enough. I guess maybe for me thinking about it, you know, if you're in Bowie, you often hear players say that the biggest jump is at high at a double-A jump. And so we've seen Kalbranovich, Drew Rahm, uh, Blaine Knight. We've seen all these guys make that jump. And maybe Rutschman's making that jump a lot easier for these guys, these mid-top-30, back-end top-30 prospects. If you're making them the better pitcher – you're just creating more of a bigger talent pool to, to pull from later on in over the next couple of years. So maybe that's helping as well. And the triple A season does go on for a few more weeks after everyone else finishes up. So plenty of time for him to work with Bauman again, Bradish again, Smith, Ofelke, Pralta, all those guys can still work together again for you know a month in triple A and he can close up the year on a high note.
1: Well, and to put that into context, if Rutzman's promoted next week, which I'm not going to predict that he's going to be promoted next week. I'm, I'm just saying if he is promoted next week, he would have pretty much a solid two months at AAA. So that's still a lot of time there. The one thing I really took away from our interview with Ryan Fuller was that when they're developing Rutsman, it's not a situation where they think, oh, he's so good behind the plate, but he really needs to work on his hitting. We're going to focus on his hitting intensely or the other way around. It's an intense focus on both. And, you know, we heard about the work he puts in with Jeff Kunkel, the fundamentals coach for the Bay Sox, uh, at getting better behind the plate. So this development process really is complex. It's multifaceted. And I'm sure that for as good as Rutschman is, there are still things to iron out. And building off of what Nick mentioned about facing kind of quad A type players as a hitter at AAA, I think there's also a benefit to catching those type of guys. The catching guys that have a little bit more experience and you may have more pitchers up there who don't have, you know, good velocity, but they might have one or two good secondary pitches. So just kind of getting different looks, I think helps him behind the plate.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I think no, no shot because I think all the coaches that Elias has brought into and Matt Blood have brought into the organization are great, all the new guys, but I think there's no doubt that Justin Ramsey and Ryan Fuller are like the cream of the crop when it comes to the coaches. So the longer you can, keep him and the rest of the guys with them, that's only going to benefit them before they move up.
1: I wanted. I mentioned this on um, Locked on the Orioles a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to repeat it here, which is that if you're really hoping for Rutsman to get promoted now because you think it will get him to the major leagues faster next year, I don't think that's the case. I think there's a lot of other factors that are going to determine when he gets to the majors and whether he ends this year at Norfolk or Bowie is not going to make a difference. Uh, There's going to be a lot more that goes into that. So if you're a Norfolk Tides fan, it just really wants to see Adley Rutzman in the Tides uniform. I completely understand that. If you just want to see him get promoted because you want to see him face that higher competition to end the year, I think that's great. But don't hold out hope that if he gets promoted now or, you know, sometime next month, that he'll get to the majors faster next year. Because I don't think that's the case.
2: Yeah. I saw in Dan Connolly's piece, for the athletic that his reasoning is that they don't want to put him on the 40 man roster going into this offseason with the CBA because if there's a strike he wouldn't be able to play minor league baseball next year which that seems like a bit of a stretch i think it's more of just like it's going to the cba has more to do with it than anything as far as service time they just don't want to start his clock because then you lose a year of of him if then if you just wait 3 or 4 weeks into next season
1: Plus, yeah. you've got so many players, and we're going to talk about this on a show soon, but you know, you've got so many players you've got to protect from the Rule 5 draft next year that if you don't have to put someone on the 40-man roster, which in Rutsman's case, you don't for that consideration, you're probably not going to do it because just off the top of my head, D.L. Hall, Kevin Smith, Taryn Babra, Kyle Bradis are just some of the names that are Rule 5 eligible after this season, and there's a lot more that are going to be in consideration, so I would say that that's the big factor if you're looking at how you're going to play on your 40 man roster for the rest of this year and in the offseason is going to be who do we need to protect from the Rule 5 draft? And you're not going to be concerned about someone who's not Rule 5 eligible for another year or two.
2: Yep, definitely.
0: And I, I don't know if this plays anything into it as well, but I mean, I know there's a 0% chance we see him in the major leagues this year. So I guess it's just, you know, cost-benefit analysis. Where does it make most sense? Where where does everybody benefit the most of having him at? Is it AA where he can work, like I said, these guys coming up from high A? Or is it AAA and getting everybody ready to go in 2022 uh, next year at the major league level at some point? But does him being in Bowie closer to Baltimore have anything to do with this as well? Like, I don't know if that could be a factor uh as well i know my parents live like 15 minutes away from harvard park and my dad goes to games and he watched like connor green twice this year so i'm sure he would love to go to harvard park and be able to watch adley Rutschman behind the plate and not connor green give up 15 runs uh but yeah i, I think it's going to happen soon for sure but uh, there's there's a lot of factors and, and catching good you mentioned catching means so a nuance like uh, one of my big takeaways from early on in you know eric long and Hagen and kylie mcdaniel's book uh, that they came out with um they talk specifically about how teams need, you know, former MLB catchers or guys that caught at a high level. They need these guys to specifically scout catchers because it's so nuanced. And, and you know, it's a whole different ballgame. And so I think that plays a lot into this as well with Ruchman that when you're talking about development, it's a whole different ballgame with catchers as well. So I, we all three of us want to in Baltimore tomorrow, but it's, it's not going to happen yet.
1: So we'll move on now to our weekly segment where we highlight a player outside of the top 30 farm prospect rankings and talk about something they've done recently, whether they've had a good game, good week, good month, whatever, and just what stands out to us about them. So we're going to start this week off with Bob, who actually has two players that he wants to sound out.
2: Um. Can I make, I'm going to make it three, actually. Um, two super quick, super quick. Um, Logan Michaels, just wanted to shout out him, undrafted free agent out of Virginia. He uh, made his made a professional debut in high A Aberdeen last week and got a base hit in his first ever at-bat. And he ended up hitting 500. I think he had a double or triple in there. He threw out a couple base runners, blocking balls in the dirt, just doing it all. You know, just making a good impression right away. And then I think he was sent back down to Delmarva uh, for this week to really just settle in, but just wanted to give him a shout out. That was pretty cool to see. Another quick one is Felix Bautista. Just throw him in there. He is electric. <laughs> the guy throws hard and does not give up hits in 11, 11.1 innings in double a buoy. He has allowed one hit. And in 20, I think it's 26.2 innings total between high a and double a, he's given up eight hits total. He has walked 19 in that time, but he's also struck out 48. So it's kind of kind of an exciting arm there, potentially in the bullpen. We'll see what happens. But the real guy I want to talk about is pitching right now as we speak, Mr. Gene Pinto, who I've just fallen in love with um, <laughs> uh, after watching his first uh, start in full season ball. And right now he's pitching. He's got 3.2 scoreless innings, gave up two hits, and has struck out four. The guy's stuff is just electric. He's got a mid-90s fastball that he combines with a a nice curveball or some kind of breaking ball and a changeup. And they all seem like they tunnel together really well. And it just looks like it's impossible to hit against this guy. The stuff looks electric. He's only, what, 19 years old, 20 years old. So I think this is a guy everyone should be keeping their eyes out for. And he might be, like, the next Grayson Rodriguez. Maybe not that good, but – uh. The next big, you know, upper tier starting pitching prospect along with Carter Baumler if he can fully recover in the next couple of years.
0: Good picks. Um, I, have, I have thoughts about all these guys for sure. One with Felix Batista uh i we need to to contact uh Bowie and get an accurate measurement on him because his player page and i've looked at all of his player pages to try to find this out they all have him at like six five one ninety there's no way on god's green earth he is 190 pounds because that is a mammoth of a man <laughs> and he does there are some times where he does get a little wild but he's throwing 100 101 miles an hour that is an imposing man on that mound definitely a lot of fun to watch um yeah. Michael's has fun too. Awesome story. Five weeks ago, he was playing in the college world series for university of Virginia. And now he's in high a had a two great games. I think you need a, a he's not going to crack our top 30. I don't think anytime soon, He may not even crack our top 50 at any point, but I think you need a system full of guys like Logan Michaels to help your young pitchers. And now we see the Orioles have these guys at every level now. And I think we're going to see that pay off. you know, Nick Schufo, we had him in Norfolk. He's on the IL mysteriously again. I, we don't know why. Um, But you have Chris Hudgens there in Norfolk. You have Rutchman, obviously, in Bowie. Maverick Hanley. You drafted Connor Pavloni from Tennessee. These guys are going to be, you know, they're going to help these pitchers for sure. Gene Pinto. I love Gene Pinto as well. That first start was amazing. I mean, the last reports we had on him were 2019 from Ben Badler uh, after that he was signed by the Angels. That was as a 17 or 18-year-old. And he noted, you know, he could throw at 95 miles an hour. He was throwing 97 on that gun in Fredericksburg. And I know I saw a lot of people say it might have been a mile or two uh, miles per hour hot, which that's fine. You're still throwing 95 miles an hour in your debut. Um, I'm going to guess that really that electric, the most electric pitch he had, in my opinion, was you guys love to change up. I love, I think I'm going to say that was the slider because Ben Badler said he has a slider that looks really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he was concerned about can this slider generate swings and misses uh, against hitters outside of Venezuela? And so obviously yes, can. it is. You
2: know.
0: <laughs> like, I remember the, there's another guy who's 5'11", because Pinto's 5'11". There are two guys at that height in Delmarva. Thomas Gerrard is the other one, undrafted free agent last year out of Duke. And I remember Joe Trezza wrote a piece after the Orioles signed Gerard, And he described Gerard's Slider uh, as hellish. And I think Pinto definitely flashed a very hellish slider last week. Uh, the numbers look good. I can't wait till this episode is done. I, we could talk all night. I'm not saying that, but nothing against you guys. Or this podcast. <laughs> but I'm excited to go back and watch that start to see what it looked like because the numbers look look great. I'm very excited to see where his development takes him.
1: Yeah, Pinto Yo, is quickly rising for me as far as pitching prospects go. The slider looked really good, as Nick said, in that start against Fredericksburg. That changed up is something else. Yeah, you, know, you when you know, the miles per hour I think he was at ninety one. So again, if it was a mile or two hot, that's still an eighty nine mile an hour change up to go as a ninety five mile an hour fastball. Just as a base for a pitcher, that's really good. And with how young he is, there's so much more room for development there. I think so. I'm really excited to see what he does the rest of the way this season and going forward.
2: Yeah, I wanted to say one more thing. Just. You know, this is a guy, I'm looking at his stat line in a box, scores in the FCL, and I'm like, oh, this is definitely someone to watch. You know, he's got good strikeout numbers, he's doing good, low ERA. Let's see what he's got when he comes up to Del Marva. And then I just don't remember being this impressed <laughs> this quickly about someone I'm seeing for the first time in a while. So just very exciting that this could happen in August <laughs> in the middle of a minor league season.
1: So my shout-out for this week is Patrick Dorian, uh, who – has been one of the better power hitters this year at Bowie. And July was statistically probably his worst month of the season, but he came on hot at the end of the month, hitting two home runs uh, in Bowie's July 29th game against Richmond. And one of the things is that in a lineup that is stacked with power hitters right now, Dorian has been one of the most consistent. We saw him hit a ball pretty far uh, when we were in Bowie a few weeks ago. Good left-hand power. Um, batting average has been kind of up and down all year but for someone that was not on our radar at all at the start of this year he's put together a really impressive season and with a strong finish of July we might see him put together a productive August
2: yeah unfortunately I think he's injured right now oh. he got one at bat on Sunday and he's not in the lineup again tonight hopefully it's something minor because I haven't heard any news of him going on the injured list so doesn't seem like it's a great Cullen-type situation where he went to the ground grabbing his hamstring. But, yeah, I mean, the guy keeps uh, impressing me. I keep thinking, oh, he's going to fall back down to earth. He's going to fall back down to earth. No, he's continuing to hit for power and drawing just as many walks as Adley Rutschman in the lineup. Yeah, he's hitting around 250, but, I mean, at this rate, I'd like to see him move up to AAA as well soon and kind of take over Ryland's, Ryland Bannon's spot as that, that option to come up at some point.
0: Yeah, I was looking the list up earlier. Yeah, he ranks one, two, three, four. He he ranks fifth among qualified hitters, all Orioles minor league qualified hitters, in OPS right now at 889. So only behind Allie Rutschman, J.D. Mundy, who's still hanging around there at the top, uh, Kyle Stowers, and Jordan Westberg. It, he's hot again, and it's good to see because he did really cool off there. Um, yeah, I wish I knew what that injury was about. I was going to try to find something out today but that was the, the game he went out on richmond lost their feed for like the all until like the seventh inning or so so uh no video evidence to go back and look and see but someone asked actually asked this morning on twitter and shout out to kyle if you're listening but i thought it was a good question and he kind of asked you know about that dorian promotion to AAA yet, and why isn't he up there yet and i think he should be up there soon like you guys just mentioned um but I think it's just a matter of at-bats right now. I don't think there's a lot of at-bats t- playing time for him in AAA with Bannon and Tyler Nevin and such up there. But Bannon's definitely losing steam, and and Dorian is earning it. You know, he's 18% walk rate, 15 home runs, 15 doubles. Play. I think he plays really good third base. Uh, it, it works for right now. So I hope he continues to play well.
1: You know, provided that everything is okay with him on the injury front, I could see Dorian getting some time there, even if it's only over the last few weeks of the season. Like Nick said, I do think that there would be a legitimate challenge trying to find him at-bats at AAA right now, but something could happen here in the next few weeks that opens an opportunity for him, and I think that he's earned it. So, you know, the Orioles should consider that if they can get him the at-bats.
0: Yep. So I'm going to go with Zach Peek So shout-out to Zach Peek. Shout out to Zach B for a number of reasons, but uh, first and foremost, shout out to him for his performance on the mound. I mean, there have been a lot of discussions about the Dylan Bundy trade this year, and rightfully so when we see Bradish and Bronovich pick, pitch as well as they have. But you often see Peek's name just left out of the discussion. Like, this is a major piece of that trade. I think people are making a mistake when you don't include his name in those conversations. Um, he's in high A now. He struck out seven with no walks in his first outing. He did have to labor through a fourth inning to eventually close out the game, but it was his first highest start. I'll excuse that. He didn't walk anybody with all the strikeout swing and miss stuff was there. Last week, he threw four shutout innings, one hit, two walks, six strikeouts. He made Greg Jones look absolutely ridiculous with I think it was his last strikeout of the outing. And that's good to see because Greg Jones is going to be a guy who I think haunts Orioles fans for many, many years in Tampa. Um, but Peak is piling up the strikeouts against higher competition now. He actually ranks fourth in the organization with a 32% strikeout rate. I wrote in our top 50 that I think Peak is going to be a name that rises up pretty quickly next year. And so far, so good. He's trending in the right direction.
2: Yeah. Um, the stuff is clearly just so good. I mean, I'm trying to look up real quick. Yeah, his FIP is 2.37, so don't be fooled by his four—you know, 4.39 ERA combined between high A and low A. It's just, I think he's been a little bit unlucky, but he hasn't given up. He's only given up two home runs all year, striking out guys like crazy. Could probably refine his command and refine some things, but at the very least, I think uh, Zach nailed it when our prediction show last week, future closer award here if he doesn't make it as a starter, the guy's going to make it to the majors. I have no doubt about that. Just the stuff is so good. He's going to continue to get chance after chance. So hopefully he continues to improve and yeah, we like him over here.
1: He's been probably one of my favorite pitchers to follow this year, just because, you know, in the discussions about the Bundy trade coming into this year, he might've been the third or fourth name mentioned. Um, Now in my mind, you know, if it were not for Bradis and Bronovitz being as good as they are this year, you could look at what Zach Peak's doing and think, well, the Orioles might've gotten something for Dylan Bundy. Uh, if it was just peaking in the deal, I think he's having that good of a season and really with how good his stuff is, I, I think like Bob's right. He's going to be a big leaguer. We'll figure out eventually where he settles, but the guy has major league stuff. He's a real talent. So he's certainly had an excellent year. Yeah. And
0: I'm glad you brought up the FIP thing. Cause I did. That's one of the biggest, I think discrepancies between ERA and FIP in the system uh, it's almost what, a run and a half lower. His FIP is in his ERA uh, and the home runs. I think one of those two home runs he gave up in, I want to say it was his very first inning of the season, which was his first pro inning. And that was uh, on opening night. He started and got yanked after like two innings because it rained. Yeah. Uh, so one home run uh, ever since then is phenomenal. So great work. And and I know a lot of that was done at Loe A and Delmarva, but through two starts, I know very, very, very small sample size, but <laughs> pretty promising. It's high competition and it's just good to see good pitching in Aberdeen because that's something that we haven't seen too, too much of lately, unless it's like Drew Rahm or Garrett Stallings night.
1: Yeah. So we'll uh, continue to follow peak and the other names will be mentioned in this segment for the rest of the year to see what they do. Certainly some guys that have some helium value. If you're looking at prospects that could rise uh, in the near future, so um, we'll continue to follow us on Twitter at DSL and the Birds. We'll have updates throughout the week as we always do with all things Orioles minor league subscribe to us at Patreon for the extra benefits, including daily recaps, instant reactions when there is a big news story and monthly top 50 prospect rankings uh, and is I- something else that we're rolling out. Up, oh, go ahead, Bob.
2: And I was going to say, we got to figure out how to do this weekly chat. I don't know if we have enough subscribers yet to pull that off but we'll figure something out i don't know if we'll do it in the whatsapp group or what but uh that's something we're going to figure out how to do as well so sign up
1: yeah we'll be rolling out new benefits i'm sure here over the coming weeks and months uh also check out baltimoresportsandlife.com for all the art- latest articles on the orioles ravens and other sports news and be sure to hop on the message board there um for bob Fallon and nick stevens this is zach speddon you've been listening to on the birds